Matthew 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way the persecuted the prophets who were before you. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Good. So here we are at the end of our base camp series, and um, man, those lights are bright. I can't see you at all. It's hard for me when I can't see your faces. Here we are at the end, and as I was preparing my message this week, I was, I was preparing what God had for me to say, and then last night, he changed it up on me a little bit, because God likes to do that, um, and he gave me a word for you that I want to start with. So this is, um, this is for you. This is for me. This is for our church. And uh, we're going to jump right in because they give me a clock. And so we're just going to jump right into it. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Heather, and I love this church. I love the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited to be able to share what he's given me to share with you today. So last night... Um, let me back up just a little bit. Yesterday, as I was going over my message that I have to share with you, I had written the word uncomfortable at the top of my page. I have it all printed out, and then I had handwritten uncomfortable. And I didn't really know why. I didn't really know if I was supposed to say that or what it meant, but I'd written it out there, and I thought, okay, we're just going to leave that there and see what happens. Well, last night, I fell asleep, and I was quickly awakened by something. And, I, you know, I was like, what? what's going on? Because I, I don't have babies. They, they don't wake up in the middle of the night. I get to sleep a full night. It's wonderful. Um, but I kept waking up, and I was so uncomfortable. You know that you just can't get comfortable, and you try every position in your bed, and your hips hurt, and your back hurts? That's what was going on. This kept happening. And I remember looking at my clock. I had gotten up and, and, and gone over and looked at my phone, and, and it was the middle of the night. I'm like, what is going on? Why am I so uncomfortable and why can't I sleep? And then I heard the Lord, not an audible voice, but just a still small voice in my spirit. And he said, I am asking you to tell this church that it's time to get uncomfortable. Because when we are sleeping, we are not pursuing what God has placed us here to do. When we are sleeping, we aren't participating in the plan that he has for us. So what happens when you're comfortable in bed? You fall asleep, right? When you're comfortable, you're sleeping. When you're uncomfortable, you're not sleeping. And then he led me to this verse from Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead 
and Christ will give you light. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So here's what I'm telling you that God said to share with you today. I'm asking you that we stop coming to church to just get a fix. I'm asking you to recognize that it's time to get uncomfortable with our comfort. It's time for us to stop living our lives in a comfortable position and wake up and let God use us the way he wants to use us. Is anybody on board with that? Awesome. Okay, now I'm going to preach. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the big one. This is the big, scary beatitude that no one wants to talk about or preach about. So they gave it to me. And uh, when people would ask me this week, oh, I heard you're preaching. What are you preaching about? And I'd tell them I'm preaching about persecution, and this would be the reaction. Ooh, a grimace. I get it. Persecution is something that we don't like to talk about. It's something we would rather ignore. It makes us squirm. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And it's something that here in our country, we don't really know a whole lot about, except for what we've read about or what we've seen reported and, or seen tweeted about from other countries. Um, the thought of persecution threatens our comfortable lives. It threatens our Christian country club way of living. Or we plead ignorance. We would rather ignore this last beatitude and focus on all of the others that make us feel good. This eighth beatitude, it sounds like end time stuff. So I don't, I don't really need to pay attention to it, right? Well, we live in America. We have freedom here. We even have freedom of religion. We have rights. Nothing can touch us. In fact, after all of those other emotions go through your mind, I'd say there's another big emotion that the word persecution brings out in us, and that is fear. When we read this verse and we actually let ourselves think about its context, about what it means, we feel afraid. We feel fear. We have fear of the unknown, fear of what could happen. Fear of what has happened and we've seen happen to other Christians throughout history. We have a fear of our own response if we ever actually had to face strong persecution. If a gun was pointed to our heads or our children's heads and we were told to deny Jesus or die, we have fear that we might not have the faith to stand and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's something we hope we never have to encounter. And so we ignore it. We push away those thoughts of fear and we pretend like it's just not there. But yet that fear is real. I'm right there with you. I, I get it. I remember being a very little girl somewhere between the age of 8 and 10 and we were at a friend's house. And I had heard the word persecution. My parents had told me about it. I had memorized the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 with my brother and sister, and so I'd heard that word. But I didn't really understand it. I didn't have any idea what it meant for me. I lived in a safe, Christian, sheltered family. I was protected. 
Well, this friend of ours, remember I was a little girl, thought it would be a fantastic idea to show a group of sheltered Christian kids a terrifying movie all about the end times. Okay, if you grew up in the 80s and you were in the church culture, you may have also seen it. It was called A Thief in the Night. Anybody see it? Okay, my one friend back there, she knows. Woo, terrifying, right? Yes, terrifying, okay? This is what happened in this movie, and I, to this day, have no idea why this adult thought it was a good idea to show children this kind of stuff, because after having watched this movie, I thought the persecution was going to a guillotine to get your head chopped off, or getting a chip forced into your skin, or running from bad guys, and I would lay awake at night for years to come, scared that persecution, you're laughing, I did, <laughs> Mom probably doesn't even know that. Um, but I was terrified that persecution was going to happen in my lifetime. And I think that's not so far off from the way some of you feel. You're either ignorant and don't really understand that it could happen, that it is happening, or you're scared and you don't know if you would be able to face it. So we're going to tackle this subject today of persecution and of fear. For the most part, we have been very far removed from persecution here in America, but that doesn't mean it isn't happening. In fact, there is more persecution of Christians happening right now in our time in history than in any other time in history. Did you know that for the first 300 years of the church's existence, it was illegal to be a Christian? So when Peter and the apostles stepped forward and started the church, and thousands of people, millions of people, started becoming Christians and finding out about Jesus, and all of these stories in the New Testament that we read about happened, it was illegal to be a Christian to follow Jesus. Just let that sink in for a second. Can we as a church just begin to recognize what a joy it is to live in this time that we live in? To see the freedom that we have to worship. Can we stop standing on the hill of minor issues and differences that we have with each other and start seeing that this time in history in the church is where we've been placed? We are in a time in history when there is more persecution of Christians than there has ever been. But we are also in a time in history where we have more freedom to live out the gospel to live out our faith, to share the gospel, to share Jesus. I would say that for such a time as this, you and I have been placed in this time in history in the church. So I'm going to give you some hard facts, just in case you're not quite sure that this is actually happening. 80% of reported religious rights violations are against Christians. 80%. Is there other persecution happening to other people of, of different faiths? Yes, 20% of that is happening to them. Approximately 180 Christians each month are killed because they are Christians. 
That's nearly double the amount of people sitting in this room right now. Look around. Look how many people are in this room. Twice as many people that are in this room are being killed every single month in our world because of Jesus. If you're a North Korean and you're suspected, not caught with, but suspected of having a Bible or having been in contact with a Christian missionary, you may be executed. This one gets me. 70 million Christians have been killed since the church began 2,000 years ago. 70 million. Half of those, 35 million Christians have been persecuted and killed in the last 100 years. So in your grandparents' lifetime and in our lifetimes, half of the persecuted Christians who have been killed since the church began have happened. We cannot ignore that this is happening. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt the pain in your own body. We cannot ignore what is happening. Maybe at this exact moment, all we can do is pray for them. But I think in this room, many of us are beginning to realize the power that our prayer holds. And I think that if a tiny church in Peoria, Illinois, begins to pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world who are being persecuted, can you imagine the wave of faith that could sweep over this generation? A wave of faith that could strengthen the people who are in prison, who are being mistreated, who are being persecuted by their faith, because of their faith, because God is calling us to be uncomfortable. My kids and I start um, most days at, of school at home out with pulling down a globe from the shelf, and we put it on the table, and we spin it. And when it stops, we put our finger on the place where it stops. And whatever country our finger is on, we talk about that country, and we pray for that country, and I ask my children to pray for that country. And more often than not, I have to explain that the people that live in this particular country or that particular country, they don't have freedoms like we have, that they're being persecuted, that the government tells them they can only worship a certain way or they, can only, they cannot go to church, they have to go to church in secret or they can't have Bibles. And my kids sit there wide-eyed and you know what their prayers are? Their prayers are, God, please help people tell them about Jesus. What if that became our mindset? What if we started praying for the people all over the world? Yes, our neighbors. Yes, the people we work with. I mean, we live in America where we go to church because it's something we check off the list. But what if we really started praying for the church globally and for our persecuted brothers and sisters? Because I want my kids to know. I want them to be informed, not just about their freedom, but prepared for what might happen as followers of Jesus if they do what they're called to do. I want them to be able to stand up for their faith, and it starts here with us. It starts with their parents. We can't bury our head in, in, in the sand anymore and pretend that it isn't happening. 
Because what happens if you aren't prepared for something? What happens if you're caught off guard by something? You don't know how to face it. You don't know what tool to use, what weapon to use in that battle. What if persecution, real persecution that threatens our comfort and our safety comes here in our lifetime? What if it threatens our comfort and our safety and our way of life and our Christian country club living? Because it might. Because it has. Just one month ago in a small community college in a quiet town in Oregon, a man walked into a classroom with the intent to kill Christians. That was his intent, to find Christians and to shoot them. One victim recalls, these are her words, the professor was shot point blank. Everyone in the classroom dropped to the ground. The gunman, while reloading his handgun, ordered the students to stand up if they were Christians. And listen, they would stand up. And he would say, good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. And he would shoot them. Let me tell you what the Bible says about these souls, though. These souls who stood up. Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. 2 Timothy 2, 12. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. This is what waits for those souls. They were ushered into the presence of the God who created them by Jesus himself as God looked at them and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Because they stood up. Because they acknowledged him here on earth. He acknowledged them before the Father in heaven. So where does this leave us? What does it mean for us today? when we think about persecution. Well, I'd like to teach you a little bit about what this verse means, and then I'm going to propose a challenge to you because I don't want you to just hear it. I also want you to walk away and do something with it. So we're going to take a short look back at where we've come from, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew was one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus, and he so beautifully captures this sermon that Jesus gave on the side of a mountain. And if you don't know, we called it base camp because uh, the, the verses literally build on top of one, in, uh, one another and complement each other, but also because Jesus was sitting on the side of a mountain when he gave this sermon. So I'm going to divide the Beatitudes into two groups of four. Okay, and you'll see them up here on the screen. The first three Beatitudes that we've talked about describe a form of emptiness inside of us, some depravity inside of us. The first one, Matthew 5, 3, talks about those who are poor in spirit. We see our low position based on God's position. We see that we cannot receive favor from God until we are prostrate, until we are empty of ourselves. The second one is Matthew 5, 4. Those who mourn their sin. We recognize our failure and our sin and we mourn it. 
We mourn the fact that we have sinned against the God who created us, and it grieves us. When you're grieving, you feel empty, don't you? You feel like your insides have just been stripped out. The third one, Matthew 5, 5, those who are humble. When you're humble, you're not full of yourself. In ourselves, nothing. In God, everything. So there's these first three, this emptiness, and then it leads us to this fourth beatitude, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Kip so beautifully shared about this pursuit of righteousness, meaning Jesus. And I will never forget that, Kip, as long as I live. The verse says, those who hunger and thirst. So when you're empty and you need to be filled up with something, you begin to pursue this righteousness. Number four, Matthew 5, 6. Those who live a life pursuing righteousness because of their emptiness, so because of the first three that have left you feeling empty and deprived, when you are hungry, you look for something to fill you up, and so you pursue righteousness. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Then look what happens. The next three Beatitudes tell us what happens. This emptiness, this hunger, leads us to pursue righteousness, which then leads us to fullness in the form of the next three Beatitudes. The fifth one, Matthew 5, 7. Those who are merciful, God's mercy on us equals freedom. And what does freedom bring? Freedom brings life and fullness. Number six, Matthew 5, 8. Those who have pure hearts and are branches as a part of his vine. He is the vine, we are the branches. And when we have pure hearts and he has pruned us, we are full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then the seventh one, Matthew 5, 9. Those who are peacemakers. We aren't ruined because of unresolved conflict. We are full of forgiveness and reconciliation. So it started with emptiness, it leads us to pursue righteousness, and the result of us pursuing righteousness leads us to be people who are merciful, with pure hearts, and full of God's justice and peace. Which leads us to verse 10. Because of those things in our life, we will endure what verse 10 talks about. Persecution comes because of this righteousness that we pursue. Hear me, this is important. Persecution is because of his righteousness. Persecution will come because of our pursuit of his righteousness. Not might, will come. This is Jesus talking in the Gospel of John 15. If the world hates you, Remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. 
They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent you, because they have rejected the God of the universe, and they have persecuted Jesus, and they have rejected Jesus. Therefore, they will persecute and reject us. Suffering persecution is inevitable if you choose a life following Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It says everyone. That means you. That means me. If you're pursuing righteousness, if you're choosing to live a godly life, you will suffer. What makes you think that a God who would send his own son to the cross would spare you from all suffering? Living for Jesus isn't for wimps. If you're a wimp and you don't want to endure what he's called you to, then you need to face some hard facts. Living for Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. It isn't for those who desire comfort. The Bible says that Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. We have that comfort. But living for Jesus isn't about comfort. It isn't about our comfort. And I would go so far to say that if you haven't endured some sort of persecution or pressure for your faith, maybe you aren't really in pursuit of righteousness. If no one has challenged your faith, if no one has made fun of you for the biblical standards by which you live your life, if no one has questioned why you go to church or why you do what you do or why you don't swear or why you don't speak negatively about your spouse or why you didn't go to that party or why you followed Jesus, then what does that say about the outward living out of your faith? We are told that we will endure persecution if we're pursuing righteousness. It happened to Jesus, and he was perfect. They couldn't find anything factual to use against him, so guess what? They made stuff up. But let's talk for a moment what that means in the here and now, because no one's here pointing a gun at our head. No one's saying, deny Jesus or die, at least not at this moment. So what does this mean for us when we walk out those doors today? While we might not have a gun pointed in our face, being told to, not, to deny Jesus, while we m- may not have to lose our life, what we do face every single day by being a follower of Jesus is pressure. Pressure to conform to the ways of the world. Pressure to follow the crowd. Pressure to let our kids do the things that other kids are doing. Pressure to value things of this world over our character and our beliefs. Pressure to be silent instead of speaking up to share the gospel. Pressure to fit in instead of stand alone. Pressure to do what feels right instead of what is right. If you're being opposed, if you're feeling pressure because of your life following Jesus, then it means you're doing something right. Opposition, pressure, persecution, they all mean that you're doing something right. But the Bible takes it one step further than just saying, don't fear it. This is where it gets tricky. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, this is the beatitude. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Listen to this. Be happy about it. 
be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Be happy about it. We're supposed to be glad when people make fun of us, when people pressure us, when people don't understand us, when people make up false stuff and spread rumors and gossip about us. We're supposed to be happy about that. Jesus says you shouldn't fear it. You should be happy about it. I love how the message puts this. It couldn't be any clearer. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Can I just stop for a second? Are we just a culture of people who have slacked on our commitments? Are we just a culture of people that say, I know I committed to that, but I'm just going to just not do it because I really don't feel like it today. My marriage didn't turn out the way I thought it would. So I know I made that lifelong commitment, but I'm just going to go over here and walk away from it. I thought I wanted to be a parent that raised my kids in a godly manner, but, you know, it's a lot harder than I thought. So I'm going to just slack off on that commitment. What has happened to our culture where we cannot keep our commitments? It says God blesses you. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution because the persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down, throw you out, speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. I love this. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So when people put you down, when they speak lies about you, be glad. Don't curl up into a fetal position and have a pity party. Don't post about how mean that person was to you on Facebook. Be glad. It's happened since the beginning of time. It sets you apart. It shows whose you are. Satan hates God, but he cannot touch God. So he will go after God's children. How do you hurt a father? You go after his kids. So Satan will use anything or anyone, and usually when he's using someone, they don't even know that they're being used by Satan to get to you, to pressure you through persecution, through pressure, through mean things that are said. He'll get to you. But we have to remember what Ephesians says. We started the year out with this. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the powers of darkness. When Jesus got this, he got this. When Jesus was on the cross, he said to his father, Father, please forgive them of the people who were falsely accusing him and murdering him on the cross. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus knew that those crucifying him, they were not his enemy. His enemy was Satan. So persecution and pressure, because we follow Jesus, is not something to fear. Do you hear me, church? It is not something that we have to be afraid of. 
It's something to expect. It's something to know it's going to happen. If you're pursuing righteousness, it's going to happen, and then we're very glad about it. We're supposed to be very glad about it because it means we're doing something right. God is looking for courageous men and women who don't let fear dictate their faith. We were once slaves in our sin and the blood of Jesus Christ. We were slaves to our fear, but because of his blood and because of our pursuit of his righteousness, we have freedom from fear. It may today just be in the pressure, in the form of pressure to conform, but it could turn into full-blown persecution in our lifetimes or in our children's lifetimes. It could. It has started here in our country. So we have to live boldly, teaching our children what it means to stand alone for their faith and showing them by our example, showing them that we do not fear being different, we do not fear being made fun of for the sake of Jesus. I think that Peter said it best. Oh, Peter. He knew the suffering and the persecution and the pressure that many of the believers in his very church had faced already in a very short time that they had been a church. As Phil said earlier, we've been a church for almost a year. Have we faced any pressures, guys? You don't think so? Come stand up here where I'm standing. We have faced pressure. We have faced opposition. Not from people, maybe now and then, but from Satan because he does not want this church to prevail. He does not want Church 214 to meet in a building that has light in its name and for the church of Christ to prevail. So he will do whatever he can to knock us off our game. And Peter knew that. Peter knew what the believers in his church were experiencing. And he wanted them to be prepared. And so I think his words say it best. And I'm just going to read straight from... Straight from his words, from 1 Peter 4. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. Remember, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. An idol is not just a statue made out of precious metal. An idol is anything that gets between you and God. An idol is anything that stands in the way of you worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. An idol can be anything in your life. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God and will judge. God will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, here's what we do, okay? You want to know what you do when the pressures come. You want to know what you do starting today. Here's what you do. It's actually really easy. Be earnest 
and disciplined in your prayers. Pray. How do you have communion with God? How do you have a a deeper relationship with God? You talk to him. That's all prayer is. It's just talking to God. Even more importantly than that, this just makes me so excited. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And you'll stand up with him and say, I know, I know, I've been trying to tell you all. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then, then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. He will never fail you. Listen to me, church. It is not going to get easier to be a follower of Jesus. It's just not. It's going to get harder. Our culture isn't becoming more accepting of our beliefs. They are pressuring more and more for us to conform to theirs. But it isn't a time to fear. It is a time to have faith. It is a time to show the love of Jesus to a dark and desperate world. And it is time that we have a face-to-face with ourselves and we choose faith over fear. So earlier I mentioned a challenge for you. I wrote a creed for our church. A creed is a set of beliefs or aims. I like the word aims. It's something we're aiming for. You can say I believe in something, but when you're aiming for something, it means you've already spotted the target. You're shooting for it. A set of aims that guide someone's actions. So this creed is based on faith, not fear, for bold men and women and children who are pursuing righteousness. And I just wonder, as I read this, I'm going to read this, and then um, the band is going to lead us in this amazing song that talks about how we are no longer slaves to our fear because we're a child of God. And so I would, I would ask it as I read this, that maybe you would just stand, if you feel comfortable, and that you would make this your creed also. Because I wrote this for us. I didn't write this just for me. I wrote this for our church, for the people standing here who I know have a desire to be known by God, to be uncomfortable, to be bold in their faith. And before I read this, I just want to mention one more thing. I almost forgot, but at the back... I had a lot more to say that I just didn't have time for. And so if you're a Bible geek and you want to know more and you want to dig a little bit deeper into this whole persecution thing, there's some sheets at the back that have some more information on it. You can pick up those and just look through them on your own. Um, It was just stuff I couldn't say, but I still wanted you to have that information. So will you join me as I read this? And maybe just close your eyes or do whatever you feel comfortable doing, but make this your aim. Today, I stand. I stand for Jesus. 
I stand and declare that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I look at the dark, lost humanity seeking to fill the voids of their life, and I offer Jesus, the hope of the world, the one who came to save the world. I stand because I've been placed in this time in history, this exciting time in history, this pivotal moment in the church. I have more freedom, more opportunity than ever before to share the hope of the world through my actions, with my words, with my love. I choose boldness over fear. I tell fear to go back to where it came from. I look it in the eye and I tell it to get lost because I have faith, not fear. I know there is pressure, but I stand strong. I know the world wants me to conform, but I stand alone. I find courage in those who have gone before me. I remember those suffering now, and I stand strong. My faith wavers, but only for a moment. For a moment, I let fear surround me. But then I remember whose I am. I remember he suffered. He was laughed at. He was mocked. And he stood. He knows how I feel. He knows what it feels like when the pressure increases. When people lie about you or say mean things, he knows. It happened to him. It will happen to me. He also knows the reward that awaits me because I've stood up. He knows the glory. He suffered. He received his glorious reward. I suffer. My reward is coming. So today marks a change, a point in my history where I choose faith over fear. I will not fear the storm. I will not fear the pressure. I will not fear what is to come. I stand. I pursue righteousness. I boldly take my place in history. I love well. I love real. I love deeply. And I see people who hated begin to love. I see the one who denied Jesus find life and hope and peace in Jesus. Because I stand. Because my faith is strong. Because I am a bold woman, a bold man, a bold teenager, a bold child who pursues righteousness. Fear falls away and faith, faith takes the stage in my life, in my time in history, because I stand. Thank you, Jesus.